Vanessa Friedman is chief fashion critic for The New York Times. That means she's been going to eight fashion shows a day for the last week as part of the paper's coverage of Fashion Week 2016. That's a lot of edgy sequins and feathery fur. Vanessa is here to talk about the shows, about fashion, and about how she does her job. This is Inside the Times. I'm Susan Lehman. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Susan. The shows are not about clothes. They are about ideas. The clothes just express those ideas, or they should. That's what you wrote in one of the wrap-up pieces about Fashion Week. What were you talking about? You know, one of the biggest arguments around Fashion Week right now is what is it? What's the purpose of Fashion Week? You know, is it for consumers? Is it to sell clothes immediately? You know, should whatever you see on a runway be available in stores an hour after you see it? So I've been thinking a lot about this question. And after watching X number of shows for seven days, I actually came to the realization that the shows are not about the consumer. And they actually, I don't think, are about selling. Selling is the end point and the show is the beginning. That means that the show is the opportunity for the designer to make their mission statement, to say to whoever, themselves as much as anyone, this is what I'm about this season. And that's an idea. Okay. What kind of ideas are you talking about? What is a garment? How does it relate to women at this moment in time? Is it about power? Is it about beauty? Is it about grace? Is it about functionality? You know, why do you have to wear a jacket on your back? Why can't you wear it as a skirt? Why do we make these assumptions about what we put on our bodies? Who's sending us these messages? Let's go back to the beginning. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what it's like to be the Times' chief fashion critic during Fashion Week. What does a day in the life look like? It starts at 5 a.m. Well, it starts at 5 a.m. about half the time. You know, I get up and do some work, whatever, look at a review that I'm writing, try to catch up on the news because fashion can be very myopic and you can easily spend a month thinking only about dresses when there are other events happening in the world. And then usually my first show is at 9. And I have shows from about 9 till about 9. And so that's 12 hours of seeing a show, getting on the subway, taking it across town, seeing another show, getting on the subway, taking it across town, seeing another show, and so on. It's a little exhausting. It's a bit of a marathon. Let's talk about social media and the way it has affected fashion coverage. It's not just a matter of instant gratification for consumers. You can see pictures right away of what's going on on the runway. And how have you and the Times adapted to the new digital possibilities? I think everybody has to now communicate on different platforms at the same time. So we are all tweeting or Instagramming or Snapchatting usually throughout the day. But I see it. I actually think it's a very useful development because it does allow me as a reporter, a writer, a critic to communicate directly with whoever's out there, which I quite like. And, you know, and I like seeing and hearing people's reactions to what I write or what I think. I like having that dialogue. Do people react and say, Vanessa, you're nuts. That dress looked horrible or things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, or slightly less politely, they say that. Or they say, I love that, which is also really interesting to me to understand what people are thinking or how they're reacting to a photograph I put out there. You know, so I think it's quite additive. It's more work. And you have to be kind of thinking with three different parts of your brain at the same time, you know, the immediate one, the critic one, and then the long-term feature one. Corsets, bubble skirts, little florals, big paisleys. What in the week-long spectacle of fashion stood out? 
For me, it was really the designers that challenged received wisdom. So Tom Brown's kind of deconstruction of men's garments and reconstruction of them as women's garments, Rodarte's everything but the kitchen sink decorative dresses. I mean, these aren't clothes that I think most people would look at and say, oh, hey, I'm going to wear that tomorrow. But they made me think. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing. So it seems that you have an intellectual relationship with Tom Brown, who you write about in terms of deconstruction and reconstruction quite a lot. Could you say a little bit about that? It's the way he sees a show. If you go into a Tom Brown store, if you go into one of the many boutiques that stock Tom Brown, you'll see a beautiful kilt. You'll see a beautiful jacket. It's not what he puts on the runway that he necessarily sells. What he puts on the runway, it really is his idea about clothes for the season. And I just, I appreciate that. I like designers who challenge my own ideas. So what were the hot tickets this season? We well, heard clearly. a lot about Madison Square Garden. Kanye, Kanye. Tell us a little bit about that. He's a hot ticket for everybody. You know, as much as anything, it was just fascinating to see someone take what was supposed to be a fashion show and transform it into an experience via combining it with an album launch and using his own celebrity to make a show into something really different. You know, whether it was successful as a fashion show is, I think, debatable, but it was fun to watch. A great spectacle, yes. It was a great spectacle. It was a very loud spectacle. <laughs> Kanye, he wasn't the only celebrity involved in the fashion week or in the fashion business. Talk a little bit about celebrities and what they bring to the fashion scene. When celebrities started getting into fashion, I think certainly myself, but probably every other critic, was there with the eye roll and the grimace and a lot of ready, sarcastic comments. And what's been interesting is to see brands like Victoria Beckham and The Row, which is by Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, really become absolutely legitimate fashion brands and defy all expectations. I think that that has opened the door for, you know, an acceptance of people from outside fashion who want to be designers, not necessarily just actors or musicians, but anyone, non-traditionally trained designers. So outside of design, are the shows filled with celebrities? Does that remain a big deal? I think it depends if a celebrity has a relationship with a brand, be it formal and contractual, if they're an ambassador or if they're a friend of the house. They'll often come and sit in the front row and be photographed and create an opportunity for more publicity and marketing for the show in that way. So what kind of pairings would we recognize between celebrity and contract houses? Well, Blake Lively was at Michael Kors. You know, she's a friend of the house, I would say. Um, Jennifer Lawrence is often at Dior or Marion Cotillard. They are contractually an ambassador for that brand. They're in the ad campaigns. So that's a different kind of relationship. Jennifer Hudson has been in a lot of shows this week, but she's in New York on Broadway. So that gives her an opportunity to see things she might not otherwise. Let's talk about you for a sec. How do you get to be a fashion critic? Intentionally, accidentally? Did you grow up knowing I would like to be a fashion critic? No, completely by accident. In fact, if you told the like 18-year-old me or the 16-year-old me or the 21-year-old me that I would be doing this now, I would have said that um, you were mistaken, probably in slightly more colorful language. I thought I was going to grow up and be some sort of great cultural critic, I think, some you know writer on philosophy. And thanks to internet that way. I started out writing a lot about culture for different magazines. And then when I was 
about 28, I moved to London with my new husband and I was looking for freelance work and I sent a letter out of the blue to the Financial Times and a woman who was then running the How to Spend It pages called me up and saw I had worked at Vogue and didn't realize that I had worked at Vogue writing about theater and books and said, do you want to write about boots? And I said, will you pay me? Yes. Boots. I love boots. (laughs) And so I sort of fell into it. And then when the FT was looking for a fashion editor in 2003, I was looking for a new job and we kind of fell into each other's arms. And what was really exciting is I got a chance to define what fashion meant for that newspaper because I'd never had a fashion editor before. So that sort of leads nicely into the way that the Times covers fashion. Does the Times have a different perspective? Does the paper cover it in a particular way that's different from the way other venues do? The Times approach to fashion is the same as the Times approach to any subject. You know, it's much broader than I think it certainly was at the FT because its constituency is so much broader. In a way, its subject is the entire world. It's writing to the entire world. So therefore, you have to think about fashion in that context. And for me, when you're writing about fashion in any newspaper, but particularly in this one, where does it connect to everything else that's going on in a reader's life? Because someone who reads about fashion in the Times is also reading about politics and business and sports and opera. Okay, you set me up. <laughs> what is the connection between organza skirts and the Supreme Court vacancy? Everybody wears clothes, no matter what they do. And so everyone makes a decision about what they're going to wear and what the people who are looking at them are going to assume about them based on what they wear. And that is true if you're on the Supreme Court. It's true if you are in a dugout. It's true if you are on at Goldman Sachs. And that, to me, is what's so exciting about fashion is it really is one of the universal subjects. And the thing that I find so fascinating about it is trying to read the tea leaves, I guess, about what every individual is trying to say about themselves with their choice in clothing. So in terms of what people are trying to say, how is it that the industry seems, at least to this outsider, to come up with the same idea for a trend, for so that this year it's little flowers or next season it's claret. How is it that hems go up or down and those decisions seem to spring out of nowhere but unanimously by the industry? At this point, because there are so many seasons, because we've gone from two to about six, actually every trend is on view at all times. So like, you know, skirts are short and skirts are long and trousers are skinny and trousers are wide and coats are bulky and coats are skinny. It just depends where you want to look. But certainly in terms of fabric, it all starts at the fabric fairs. (laughs) This is kind of insider information, which, you know, happen a good year and a half or two years even before anything you see on the runway. So So Tom Brown and the designers are going to the fabric They all go to the same fabric fairs. Based on what they see, they reach some sort of common consensus about this is a great fabric or this is a great color or that fabric would look great on a really long flowing garment and that one wouldn't. Yeah, and it's a decision that's based on the nexus of what they see at the fabric fairs and what they're kind of seeing in their daily lives. So if there is, you know, a Paul Clay show at the Pompidou, And there's just sort of blue in the air. And everyone's going, hmm, hmm. And then they go and they see blue fabric. And they're like, oh, I'll do that one. Or if there's a film that suddenly caught everyone's attention and it's in all the newspapers and it's on all the posters and it's in magazines. People are starting thinking Victoriana. And suddenly there's a lot of lace and buttons. You know, it's... And was there a film or something for this season? The Revenant? Was there lots of shearling? There's certainly been a lot of big, big wild coats on the runway. Yeah, yeah. You wrote about athleisure wear, gym clothes that women wear to lunch or work or wherever. Mm -hmm. Would you ever wear gym clothes to lunch or work or wherever? 
I wore it as a week as a test. And? <laughs> it was very comfortable. It was very tempting, but it was not me. But I also don't spend that much time in the gym, so maybe that was the problem. And yet you used the word side abs for the first time <laughs> in a review last week. I wanted to ask you about vocabulary. Are there some words you don't use or you try to stay away from or that you reserve for special side ab-like occasions? <laughs> No, side abs was just the most accurate description of what I saw at that moment. Tell us what you saw. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a dress on Selena Gomez at the Grammys, and it was kept by Calvin Klein, and it had triangular cutouts exactly where her abdominals were on each side. When you see something like that, you have to reach for the best word. Let's talk for a second about Burberry's and the see now, buy now. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us why that's revolutionary or a radical idea at all? Maybe first tell us what it is. So the fashion system has grown up in such a way that runway shows are actually six months ahead of the time when the clothes go into stores. So what we're seeing now are fall clothes that will be available in sort of August, September. And that happens because stores need time to place their orders, and the fashion house then has to produce the clothes that they order and ship it to Bloomingdale's or Saks or Neiman Marcus, and that takes that amount of time. Similarly, glossy magazines need three months to create a fashion shoot, get it printed, published, and so on. Generally, what's happened is that fashion shows exist in sort of a whole different chronological schedule than real time. Because of social media, that has gotten increasingly designers claim and retailers claim unworkable. Because the show will happen, it will go up on Instagram, it will go up on Facebook, it will be live streamed on the on the brand's website, and, and consumers will and think, consumers see I it immediately, and they think they want it now, and then celebrities often do want it now, and if there's an award show, they get it now, so they will literally take a dress off the runway, put it on their body, and go to the Oscars or the Grammys, and then the consumer thinks, hey, that dress has been worn, I should wear it too, and so when it actually comes into stores four or five months later, they think it's old, and they don't want to buy it. Designers are blaming this for creating all sorts of problems. And in order to solve the problem, some of them have decided to show clothes actually in season to effectively use a show as a selling tool and not as a statement of intent. So it's kind of like the same kind of disruption you see in media with the, that social media introduced. The instantaneousness of everything Absolutely. seems like it's put the fashion industry out of whack a little bit, too. Certainly the high fashion industry. This is less relevant to the fast fashion or the mass fashion industry because, you know, first of all, they don't have shows. And second of all, most of them do own their factories or have a very fast twitch relationship with their factories so they can turn around product very quickly when they see what's selling. It's the great success of the Zara business model. But the sort of point of tension that happens is that one of the premises of high fashion is that it is somewhat elitist and it is hard to get and it is special. You should have to anticipate it. And if that's true, then making something available immediately undermines that entire premise. So right now there's a kind of debate going on and a dialogue about, you know, what should a brand do? Should it hold to its beliefs and keep itself apart? Or should it do what Burberry has done, which is say effectively, we love you people, come on in. How else has the industry changed? What have you seen in terms of you're interested in ideas and in cultural change? How do you see those kinds of changes when you're watching fashion as closely as you have been? I mean, the two biggest changes have been, first, that fashion has really become a part of pop culture. And suddenly everybody wants fashion, thinks they can be a designer, 
wants to comment on fashion and sees it as part of that conversation. And the second really is that fashion's become a major industry in a way it wasn't before. You know, fashion really has only been an industry since about 2000, which is kind of extraordinary. LVMH, which is the biggest luxury conglomerate, wasn't even created till 1985. Gucci Group, which then became PPR, which then became Caring, was 2000. So it's been interesting to watch that development. People were wearing clothes before 2000, weren't they? Yeah, but it was all mom and pop and private small houses that maybe had a couple stores in their own country. It was not Burberry on the FTSE 100 with over 200 stores and 200 department stores and X number of million Instagram followers. So in terms of models and sizes and shapes and colors of the people you see on the runway, has that changed in the way that the world has? You know, it's funny because in a time period where we're talking a lot about the hashtag Oscar so white, fashion, which for a long time was really fashion so white, has actually been surprisingly diverse this season. But it's funny. When I think about fashion, I think about people who look very different. I mean, maybe it's because they look very different from me. They're all eight feet tall and things like that. I don't know. I see the models are pretty similar or were pretty similar. I think right now we are at a time when people are speaking up more for different different body types, different skin types, you know, different heights of models. But if you look at the runways, come on, know. did you see any short models on any of the runways this week? I'm sorry, Cara Delavine is five foot six. That there count, are there that are some. Short. That counts as short. <laughs> So what do you wear to the shows? You don't wear a different outfit, I take it, to each show, given that you're going to eight a day. But you must give some thought to what you look like in the statement you make in the front row seat there. I mean, at this stage, I wear pretty much the same thing every single season. I have it sort of a formula, and the same things go into my suitcase, and they go on to my body every day. And it's actually kind of funny because, you know, there are lots of street-style photographers, and for some reason in Paris— there's a group of Japanese that like to take my picture. I'm always wearing the same thing, and they know it by now. And it's always the same bag and the same coat and the same dresses. And they come up and they say, what are you wearing? I'm like, you know what I'm wearing. Well, tell us. I'm <laughs> sure very the disappointing would like them. to know your formula. Um, you know, I tend to wear boots because they're easier to walk in. I need a very large bag. And then I wear clothes that don't wrinkle. So I can pack them and smush them and take them out and put them on because I also don't iron particularly well that are warm, you know, and that will also go from, say, a show to a cocktail party or an event so I don't have to change because I don't have time. And are you a dress person or a skirt person? or a... I like a dress. I like a dress because it's easier. You're wearing a black one today. Is black your color with the Japanese photographers? No, there's Vanessa in her black costume. I wear a lot of black, but so does everybody else. <laughs> What's next, Vanessa? Now the Fashion Week is wrapped up. What do you do next? Go to London. <laughs> it's not over. It's a month. Fashion Week, is it's a complete fallacy. It's a month. Tell us a little bit about that. You go to Rome, you go to Milan, you go... I go, to, I go from New York to London, London to Milan, Milan to Paris. So I leave New York on February 20th, and I return on March 10th. And that is a straight... 18-day with no weekends, no time off, no dinner parties, marathon of shows and work and shows and work and shows and work. And then I come back and I have a couple of months and then in July it starts again. What is the most fun thing about your job? You know what? Going to shows is like going to a lot of modern art galleries 
and you see lots and lots of stuff you think is derivative or boring or silly or pointless, and then you see something that is amazing, you forget everything else, and you think, wow. Okay, Vanessa, have fun. Thanks, Susan. Thank you, Vanessa, and thank you to Pedro Rosado and to Jocelyn Gonzalez, who produced these podcasts. This is Inside the Times, a production of Times Insider. We take you behind the scenes at the New York Times. You can find more of our work at nytimes.com slash insider. I'm Susan Lehman.